welcome to Deep Talk, Master Your Skills in Grant Writing, a podcast hosted by the team grant acquisition at the University for Continuing Education, Krems. With this podcast series, we want to help you to master your skills in grant writing to make it an easy and fun task within your research. Each episode deals with a different topic relevant for the application for funding within the largest research and innovation program worldwide, Horizon Europe. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the podcast series Deep Talk. Today we focus on the second most important criterion for the evaluation of proposals applying for funding in Horizon Europe the impact. We answer questions such as how to structure an impact section, what does terms such as scale and significance or potential barriers mean, how do I properly address the impact to get a better evaluation for my proposal. All these questions and beyond will be answered today by our honorable guest, Dr. Nikolaus Florat. He is director and founder of the company Key Innovations Training and the Funding Expert Academy. He shows more than 24 years of experience in research and innovations grant applications, more than 18 years experience as European Commission expert and evaluator of Horizon Europe and Horizon 2020 proposals, and also the programs far beyond, and more than 13 years as research and innovation coach and trainer. As a consultant, personal trainer, and coach, he has supported hundreds of individuals and organizations on managing EU funding. As an expert on behalf of the European Commission on evaluating and reviewing research and innovation projects and proposals continually since 2003, He has frameworked what works and what doesn't work successfully in European funding programs. Also, what I think is really nice to have for us as research managers, but also for researchers, he published the ebook Who are the Champions in Horizon 2020 and what you can learn from them. And I like the mission of Nikolaus. His mission is to transform individuals into better persons and professionals via training and coaching. It's my pleasure to warmly welcome you, Dr. Floratus. We are very happy to have you here today. And I'm very looking forward to our interview about the impact in Horizon Europe. Katrin, thank you for the wonderful introduction. I think it's the first time that someone introduces me that extensively and that nicely. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the invitation to participate in this uh, podcasting uh, series. You're very welcome. I suggest we directly start with our interview question number one to give an overview about what the impact actually is. So as an expert yourself for the EU Commission, could you explain to us what the EU Commission really means by showing a pathway towards impact? Very good question, uh, Katrin. Actually, as um, some of our listeners might be aware, Impact has changed since uh, Horizon 2020. First of all, it received by far more significance. And secondly, impact uh, has to be measured. So that means that whatever you wish to achieve, you need to have 
quantified uh, targets. Now, in order to make the things a little bit uh, simpler, I would like to uh, substitute the word impact with the word benefits. So if you try to see the, whenever you see the word impact, if you try to translate it into benefits, maybe it will be easier for you to understand the whole concept of uh, impact that the European Commission wishes to have from Horizon Europe. Now, more specifically, if we wish to have impact in the way that the European Commission requires from the call topics, we have three types of impact. We have the scientific impact. What does that mean? Scientific benefits. So uh, new knowledge, uh, useful and new knowledge, novel knowledge that is uh, created and hasn't been uh, developed so far. We would like to have... Uh, societal benefits, so benefits to society or societal impact. In that respect, we would like to know what kind of benefits can be created from your solution. And when we say benefits, measurable benefits to society. And the last and third type of benefits or impact that the European Commission requires from the calls is economical benefits. So what kind of economical benefits in a sense growth, uh, increase of number of employments, uh, new solutions penetrating the European and global market. These are things that we expect to have from any Horizon Europe, uh, European funding code. So benefits, first thing that you need to remember. Secondly, that we have scientific benefits, economical benefits, and societal benefits. Now, regarding the word that you used, pathway, I would like to use because sometimes pathway can be a little bit confusing. I would like to use instead of the word pathway, a strategy. So what is your strategy? Whenever you see the word impact pathway, that means what is your strategy for achieving the measurable scientific impacts, the measurable societal impacts, and the measurable economical impacts. And this time that all the listeners need to be aware and all this have to be described in the grant application, more specifically in section two, where is the impact section. Normally, in a research innovation action is around nine, 10 pages. A lot of things. So if I want to conclude, and then you can go to your next question or ask for any clarifications, European Commission asks now in a much uh, less space, in nine or 10 pages, whatever they were asking in Horizon 2020. Now they're asking it in Horizon Europe, but in a far less number of pages. And in addition, they want measurable benefits that can be uh, verified by the European Commission, either during the project or within, as we will see, five years after the end of the project. When you refer to the three types of impact, the scientific, the societal, and the economic, it sometimes feels hard for researchers who come from social sciences to integrate, for example, the economic impact or the economic benefits of their project. How would you approach this or how, which advice would you give them to easily integrate the economic impact, for example? And this is a very, another very good question. Economic, because whenever we are dealing with social science and humanities, we don't see the immediate uh, benefits in uh, uh, economy. But uh, definitely, suppose that you have uh, to develop an e-learning course, an e-learning course for people with cognitive disabilities. So people with severe 
cognitive disabilities with Down syndrome, and you would like to teach them foreign languages. Uh, so this is, uh, of course, uh, a solution that you might consider offering it for free, openly available, because uh, you believe that adds value to society and it is something that is uh, needed. So in that respect, you don't see any immediate economical uh, benefits uh, from your uh, project. But uh, nevertheless, if you try to think five years after the end of the project, when your solution has been fully validated and qualified, and it is used by a significant number of teachers, special educational teachers, but also a significant number of people with Down syndrome and other severe cognitive disabilities, then in that case, it is easier for you to consider some economic benefits. You can see, for example, that, oh, wait a minute, my solution, as long as it is qualified, it can uh, penetrate other markets, uh, for example, in US. Maybe in US, they have that kind of need. So that's a new market for me. So that's new market opportunity. So I can start thinking uh, what kind of uh, expenses and revenues I can have from that solution if I extend it in a window of five years from the end of the project. Secondly, what you can think is, okay, maybe I disagree it for free. So it's publicly available, my uh, solution. But you could see some other uh, benefits, maybe some other AT assisted technology providers can benefit from your solution and they can integrate their own solutions in your platform. So then there are some economic benefits, not directly to your uh, university or to your organization, but there are some benefits in economy that are initiated from third parties, from other SMEs, that they are AT vendors, assisted technology vendors, that they use your platform as one of your vehicles for people with cognitive disabilities or special educational teachers to use their own tools that they offer them with a fee. And uh, if I want to uh, highlight something, it is always easier to think what are the economic benefits of our solution as soon as our solution reaches the necessary technological maturity. So what that is, uh, for people that are applying in uh, Horizon Europe, we have uh, nine uh, technological readiness levels. I mean, the more mature your technology is, uh, the higher is the TRL level. So we start from uh, TRL1, which is just one uh, uh, proof of concept, or you formulate the idea that you have an idea, whatever that idea is, and uh, you reach TRL9, where TRL8, first of all, is a system that is fully qualified and validated, and TRL9 is a system that now is ready to penetrate the markets. So whenever you're developing a solution, if your solution is technologically oriented with uh, some technological components in it, by the end of the project, most likely your solution will be TRL5 or TRL6. So it has been tested by some end users. So, but that's not enough. That's not enough for penetrating the market and for producing some economical benefits. So you need to describe, in many cases, this is what I recommend also, within the proposal, within your grant application, what are your steps for, after the end of the project, reaching TRL9 or TRL8. And then as soon as we describe those steps, 
then you have a whole picture in front of you and you say, now, yes, now I can talk about the complete system. Now I can think about how I can create other economical benefits from my solution. So this is when you have technological components or when you have a solution that can be commercialized. The same can be when you don't have a technological component. Let's say that you have not created a technological platform, but one of your results is a training course for people with cognitive disabilities without the support of a platform. But what you have described, you have described the design of your course, you have described the content of your course, you have described the methodology, how the course should take place, you have described any tools and other resources that should be needed, any, you have described the expertise that is needed, all this curriculum that you described that is not based on technology, still you need to think how you're going to make that training course or training curriculum complete in order to be used fully by the intended target groups. And in that case, you might think about some other economical benefits that you might have from it. I don't know whether I, I, I was quite uh, superfluous and I elaborated a lot. If you believe that I talk a lot on that, please interact with me by no means, uh, Katrin. Huh? No, it's perfect. <laughs> you give the information what we need, so that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> But um, you also mentioned the impact has to be measurable this time in comparison to uh, Horizon 2020. Which tools or how can you measure the impact? Is there, can you measure it by using target groups or are you using um, scale and significance to measure it or are you using key performance indicators? Which, which structure would you suggest to researchers? Very good uh, also comment this one. Um, mm -hmm. we will, I will suggest to go with the guidelines of the European Commission. So the European Commission inside the grant application template so for anyone that is willing to submit an application, they need to uh, download the application template. Within the application template, there are specific guidelines. So I would, I would suggest to go with that. So that's a reference point. So under the impact section, in the guide for applicants within the application, there are two terms that are used that are not many people, even evaluators, are not that familiar with. You mentioned that is scale and significance. Well, actually, those two terms for me are extremely useful because they are assisting the applicants, if they understand well what they mean, they are assisting the applicants to measure the impact that they expect to have either by the end of the project or within years after the end of the project. So let's try to define those two terms. The scale term, I'm using that because that's the first one. Another word that you can use for it, it is based on the definition, but uh, by looking at the definition within the guide of applicants, you can see that another uh, word is either reach or widespread. So, and you mentioned the word target group. So value can be how many individuals per target group you expect to reach by the end of the project or within five years after the end of the project. And if you may say, I can say why I, I say five years after the end of the project and, and I can explain that a little bit later. So this is the, the scale. How many individuals, how many end users you expect to reach per target group in your project within the end uh, and within five years. And this is very useful because that allows us, first of all, to be 
to narrow down our focus. So we can say that, yes, by the end of the project, we expect to, to reach 100 uh, people with uh, Down syndrome that will test our solution, if our solution is a training course for people with cognitive disabilities to learn foreign languages. So that's one target group. I specified how many I expect to reach. Now, uh, the next term in the pair, because we need to see the, the, the scale, uh, not on its own, but also with the other term that is used by the European Commission, which is the significance. The significance, another word that you can use, because they use the word value for the terminology in the guide for applicants. So a much nicer definition of significance is, okay, how much each of the rich target groups is expected to benefit from your project result? So we have now two elements. The scale is how many you expect to reach, and then as soon as you reach them, how much you expect to benefit from your project results. And that's the value, the significance. So in our, in our example that we discussed to develop a training course for people with Down syndrome or with severe cognitive disabilities, you can say that I expect by the end of the project, 100 or 50 persons with cognitive disabilities to use my, to participate in my training course on learning a foreign language. And then the, the significance is that you have to expect that uh, by the end of the project, these participants that participated to have uh, increased the vocabulary of, foreign, uh, of uh, foreign words or of the words of a foreign language by 10% or to know 500 more, no, more words that they didn't know before. So you can have that by the end of the project, and then you can extend that as long as you elaborate and improve your solution and your training course, you can say how much you expect the scale and the significance, the benefits to be five years after the end of the project. You can still say that. And if you allow me, why I say five years by the end of the project, if in the proposal application, we have some definitions for the expected outcomes, we, we can say that they, based on the definition of the European Commission in the grant application, are the short-term benefits uh, from our project results. So during or by the end of the project. And the long-term uh, benefits, these are the expected impacts. In the application form, it doesn't specify as it is with expected outcomes during or shortly or by the end of the project. But... Uh, uh, according to Article 26, with a model grant agreement, all the applicants are subject to an impact audit to see whether the expected impacts that you promise have been fulfilled within five years after the end of the project. So if we want to extend it a little bit, extrapolate it, we can understand that when, whenever we talk about uh, expected impact, the timeline that we can use is five years since we are subject to an impact audit within five years after the end of the project. This is a very important point. And I heard it uh, the first time in your training that in the model grant agreement, there is this expectation of five years after the project for the expected impact. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So how do I know now as researchers, as researcher, what the European Commission wants me to reach with my project? So what, what are the expected outcomes? Where do I find them? And what are the expected impacts? Where can I find those? 
Okay. Um, first of all, uh, the expected outcomes are mentioned in the call topic description. So in the call topic description, they mention what kind of benefits you should achieve with your project results by the end of the project. However, what they don't specify, and it's up to you as an applicant to specify, is how many uh, end users or how many from your each one of your target groups you expect to reach by the end of the project. So it's up to you to specify that. And also uh, what you need to specify as an applicant is the number, the amount of benefit. I mean, how much they're going to benefit uh, from your project result, this target group related uh, to that expected outcome. So what they have is just say, these are the short-term benefits that we expect to have from uh, the projects that are funded from uh, uh, this call topic. In the same manner, they specify only these are the long-term benefits, expected impact, that we expect to have from the project funded and the expected outcomes are mentioned in the destination. So the destination is the introduction to the calls that are related to a specific expected uh, uh, impact. And this is the long-term benefits from your project results. So uh, if you allow me, an advice that I strongly advise anyone that is uh, um, going to write them the impact section to pay special attention to read very, very carefully the call topic description very carefully, as well as the introduction to that call, which is called the destination. So to understand further the expected impact and the expected outcome. And if you want me to give one more tip, in many cases, if you want to uh, find more information about the expected impact that are, uh, that are not included in the work program, work program is the official document that uh, um, describes the open calls of proposals. There's another document that is called orientations towards the strategic plan. This is the foundation for formulating the open calls of proposals. If you just Google it, orientations to the strategic plan of Horizon Europe, you will find it. This is a very useful document. In many cases, it contains by far more information regarding the expected impacts than what it is in the work program, so you can understand better uh, what the expected impact is about that you need to address. Thank you for mentioning this. I will also link um, the orientations to the strategic plan in the, in the short notes for you listeners. So when we... Um, I mean, you are now expert and evaluator since 2003. What do you think are the main arrows in describing um, the impact from Horizon 2020 in comparison to Horizon Europe? I mean, now, now Horizon Europe is the more important one, but it would be interesting to see the difference between those two. Also, what you experience from now, from the first round of Horizon Europe, the proposal checks, what are the arrows, what researchers are doing and not getting the the full points, let's say. Okay. Uh, I can say to you, uh, Katrin, that uh, not many things have changed uh, from the applicant's point of view between Horizon 2020 and Horizon Europe. They believe that uh, in the same manner that you were dealing with uh, uh, impact in Horizon 2020, you need to deal in Horizon Europe, but in less pages. Well, and uh, having said that, this means that uh, more or less their mistakes are the same and the common ones. And what are these? The applicants are very generic in their impact strategy. They don't have a measurable 
quantitative indicators in regards to the scale. So how many you expect to reach by the end of the project from each one of the target groups uh, and how much you expect each one of those target groups to benefit from your project result. So this is something that people haven't realized. It. And it's a pity because it's not that complicated now. What the European Commission gives you is gives you the opportunity to specify in a realistic way how many of your target groups you're going to reach and how much they're going to benefit. And this is very important because in some cases, we believe that, yes, with a project, uh, we can change the whole world. And you see that in some applications, either in Horizon 2020 or in Horizon Europe. What do you see? You see uh, uh, approaches that say, yes, we expect to reduce CO2 emission by 2% with our project solution. But this is very generic. Even if they have indicated a target, what do you mean a reduction of, uh, by 2% of CO2 emissions? Are you going to reach it for the whole world, for the whole Europe, at a, at a national level, at a, re, at a regional level, at, uh, um, within the participating pilots or within the, uh, the, 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 the solutions that, or within the cities that have adapted the solution? They don't do it. You need to specify. That's why now with the scale and significance, as long as you understand the value behind it, you can be by far more pragmatic and realistic with your project approach. And actually, there's a direction from the European Commission saying, if you cannot measure something, don't tell me that you're going to contribute uh, uh, positively to that. And we see a lot of uh, things also in Horizon 2010. We see it also in Horizon Europe, contributions to sustainable development goals. Because some of the impacts are related to the sustainable development goals. Some of the applicants, they mention them in, um, in their application. But if you don't provide me measurable achievement that you expect to have and the scale also, then don't use these impacts in your proposal. So the key word here or the key words is scale and significance. Understand their value and use it in your application. Be realistic. <laughs> that, that leads me to the to the another question. Um, of course, we have to be realistic when planning, planning a project. So, of course, there will be potential barriers coming up because we can't really plan what happens five years after our project ends. So how, how would you address the potential barriers? What is the difference to the common risks of a project? And where would you address them? Okay, very good. Uh, a lot of, I say very good point because a lot of applicants are mixing risks with barriers. So risks are... Um, the obstacles that you're going to face or events that might take place during the implementation, the technological implementation or the development of your solution. So these are some uh, challenges that you faced in the methodology, some obstacles that you faced and do not allow you to work as you planned in the implementation of the project. So these are the risks And that's why we call them risks and we have mitigation or, or contingency measures for overcoming them. Uh, on the other hand, barriers are obstacles not for developing your solution, but for achieving the expected benefits that you promised. So that's the key difference behind. Risks are related to your, the development of your solution. 
barriers and obstacles for the development or events that might take place and do not allow you to deliver the solution that you promised to deliver. Barriers, on, on the other hand, are events that might take place or obstacles that you might face for achieving the expected impact. And having said that, risks should be included either in the excellence or in excelling the implementation. There is a specific section that asks you to specify the risks that your project might face for uh, delivering the promised results. And uh, in the impact section, there is a guideline there to include those barriers that you believe might your project face as obstacles for achieving the expected uh, benefits. And a good starting point for identifying uh, uh, possible barriers is to use the PESTEL acronym, which is to try to identify whether you might face some political uh, barriers uh, in uh, achieving the expected benefits or uh, PE, then some economical barriers like la uh, lack of uh, further support from third parties or PESTEL S social or societal barriers, maybe low acceptance of your solution by end users because they don't like technology or whatever. Then technological barriers, maybe there are some conflicts with other technologies that exist in the market or in the scientific community, or there are some, uh, some other solutions that are more competitive than yours. They have by far more assets and features than yours. So that might uh, affect your, um, uh, your solution to achieve the expected benefits. Then we have PESTEL. The second E is environmental barriers. Maybe your solution is uh, in conflict with the green studies that the European Commission applies because it doesn't help for the adoption of green technologies and having a continent, uh, Europe, as uh, uh, neutral to climate. So these are things that you need to consider. So PESTEL and then L, some legal barriers. Maybe uh, there are some uh, conflicts with other patents in your solution. Someone else has suggested that they have patented. So now legally you have some barriers of, um, of uh, 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 developing your solution and penetrating the market. So these are things that you can uh, think of as a starting point. But at least there is uh, one barrier, if I can call it a passepartout barrier, that uh, all, the, all the solutions will face, no matter if they are technological ones or no matter if they are from the social science and humanities. This is uh, acceptance of your solution by society, by policymakers, by policy advisors. This is something that I can call it passepartout. What is passepartout? A key that fits all the locks. This is a barrier that all uh, solutions, all projects face, at least this one. So what do you need you know, to overcome it? You need to uh, have a very well-explained dissemination exploitation strategy. A strategy that will convince those different target groups that they might be reluctant to use your solution, whatever your solution is, to convince them of uh, its benefits and facilitate the use from them. So at least one barrier. Now, can you call it 
societal barrier, can you call it a, a key barrier? It's up to you. But this is one barrier that you, we need to see in all the proposals. So you would integrate the, the barriers or the solution to the barriers in the section of the dissemination and communication? Yes, the measures for overcoming those barriers uh, are, uh, are explained in detail in the dissemination and communication if we, have, if we talk about that barrier. But, of course, you're going to mention them. You're going to say that in the impact that we believe for achieving this uh, uh, expected impact, one of the key barriers is reluctance of end users to use it. Therefore, we're going to apply uh, realistic, significant uh, dissemination and exploitation measures, C, section 2.2. You don't have to repeat it there. So you refer them to the other section. One thing that you need to be aware is because we're limited, we're, we don't have that many pages. Uh, don't repeat information, refer to the information whenever it is needed. So this is also kind of, a, let's say, a tool to influence the impact, right? So you could maximize it by, by showing the potential barriers and your solution to it in the dissemination and communication section. Exactly, because you cannot have any impact if you don't have the intended users using your solution. And uh, actually dissemination and exploitation is your strategy for convincing your uh, target groups to use your project results. And this is a fundamental one for achieving the expected impacts or even the expected outcomes. If you don't use something, you cannot have a benefit out of it. That's why they are very well interlinked. Do you think that that impact can be influenced um, in another way, for example, by a consortium composition, by using advisory boards or integrate stakeholders as associate partners, for example? The, well, um, the more... Uh, the more engaged target groups you have to the project, the easier will be to achieve the expected impacts. So uh, you can proactively have some of your target groups on board, either as members of your advisory board or even as partners, or even as uh, uh, associate partners, as you said, that you can participate without uh, uh, any funding, but you are highly interested in the project results. So the earlier you engage them, the stronger is your evidence that you have already foreseen what kind of target groups you need. And not only you have foreseen them, but you have also taken some measures to engage them at the proposal stage. So it's even more credible and realistic that your project is going to initiate high interest from the stakeholders community point of view. I have again a question, especially for you as evaluator. Um, how actually do you review the parts on the impacts beyond the expected ones? So the gender balance, the open science, also the SDGs, all this cross-sectoral impact information you can give in a proposal. How do you uh, want to see it as evaluator and where do you want to read it? What is, what is your expectation on that? Okay. Um, as an evaluator, uh, we expect... Let me give you a definition of what I mean. What is the difference between communication and dissemination, because this is very relevant. Um, dissemination is promotion and raising awareness about your project results. 
and communication is promotion and raising awareness about the project of Europe, about uh, the project expectation, about the project uh, achievements, about the project information, about uh, project uh, events. So this is general uh, information about the project that is related to communication. Of course, what does that mean? That means that uh, our the main target group of uh, communication, apart from the other, the target, I mean, about the project overall, uh, everyone should know. And the ones that should use it or are expected to use it, but also the general public. So the, the role of communication is to promote and raising awareness about the project, not only for the ones that are intended to use it, because this is the purpose of dissemination, but also for the general public, for the citizens. So in that respect, one extra target group that most likely you're not going to have it in the dissemination. Why? Because the dissemination is promoting and raising awareness uh, to the ones that are expected to use the project result. So the general public in many cases or in most of the cases is not expected to use the project result. So in that case, this is the responsibility of the communication. So the communication should consider in addition the general public. People, uh, citizens need to know of uh, interesting projects, projects that will improve their quality of life, not immediately, but uh, in a short or in a long-term basis. That's why the European Commission insists to have the communication strategy in addition to the dissemination strategy, because they, you need to have as a target group the general public to know what kind of initiatives are taking place now for improving their quality of life in the near future. So this is um, uh, one element. And we expect to see that as evaluators. As evaluators, we expect to see this target group of general public, but not as part of dissemination, because it doesn't sound that realistic, but as part of communication. Definitely, this is a, a something that we need to. Now, regarding uh, contributions to uh, gender or contributions to open access, you have on, or open science, you have already addressed and uh, the gender aspects and the open um, uh, science in uh, the excellence section. In the excellence section, not part of the impact, there is already a section there uh, asking you in your methodology to consider the gender aspects and uh, also to uh, describe and ensure that your results will be available through open access. Now, what is actually, however, not required, and that is something that could be impressive but could fit under the impact section for the evaluator can be impressive, is to show, okay, why you're going to provide your results under open access. No one asks you for that. They oblige you to do that. But if you think about it, in the impact section, you can say just one sentence that you are planning to have all your project results uh, publicly available, not because you're obliged, you're not going to say that, but because you believe that transparency can enhance the credibility and the quality of your results, can open horizons, if you distribute that publicly, can open horizons for new discoveries by other research communities. So you can have that as introduction, you don't have to measure that because it's something that is not uh, required per se by, uh, by the call topic, but you mentioned that for uh, influencing positively the valuators. 
So this is what we would have liked to see in the impact section, the benefits from the open science. My last question um, comes more to a hands-on approach for the impact. So in the application template, it's mentioned that it should be told in a narrative form. But I mean, narrative, what does it mean for the EU Commission? So is it important to have it as narrative or can it also be shown as tabular version? Because most researchers prefer to show it as a table. What would you suggest? You can start with a table. Why? Because you can start with a table because in a table you cannot escape. You need to specify the value of uh, uh, the value that the, the scale that you're going to reach uh, within your project related to your result one. You need to describe the significance, uh, the, how much they're going to benefit per target group from your project result related to the expected uh, outcome that you are addressing. So you cannot escape that easily by having everything in a tabular format. However, in many uh, uh, cases, if you try to describe something in a tabular, in a table, you see that it takes a lot of space. So when you try to include that in your application form, you realize like, oh, wait a minute now, I'm supposed to have 10, uh, nine, 10 pages for the impact and only this table takes me three pages. <laughs> What am I going to do? <laughs> so in that respect, my advice is start uh, with a table. If you believe that a table is okay, concise and can fit in the application form, you can include it. But what you could do and what I advise people to do is to take the information that you have included in the, in the table that you make sure that you have included all the information and now you describe it in a narrative format. But when I say a narrative format, not everything in one paragraph. You have an introduction, then you have bullet points. So you have one bullet point for your target group. Then another bullet point for the scale of that target group. Another bullet point for the significance that, you, that for, related to that uh, target group per expected outcome. So what you're doing, you are transforming the information that you have in the table in an additive format, but with bullets so you to make everything distinct. And in many cases, when you have something that you believe is very, very important, that you don't want to be missed by the uh, evaluators, try to make it as distinct as possible. So how can you make it, even if it is in a paragraph format? You uh, frame that sentence that you want not to be missed. You put a, 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 an orthogonal, orthogonal around that text. Uh, you put a frame. And then you can change also the background, make it a little bit slightly dark, darker. So while the evaluators will be scrolling vertically in the application form, they will realize that... Uh, Some, this, uh, this is some subconsciously that should not be missed. So their eye gaze will stop on that that is very distinct. So to summarize, start with a table. If you're feeling comfortable with that, include it as a table. If you believe that it's better from the space point of view and from the formatting point of view to have it in a narrative format, use it, but use distinct points, use bullet points, use bolding in order to make sure and that the important information stands out. Thank you very much, Nikolaus. To summarize uh, this very valuable information, I kindly ask you to provide our listeners with five practical quick tips on how to prepare the impact section for their proposal, no matter what research discipline. Okay, perfect. Now, tip one, number one, read very carefully 
the work program related text. Read the call topic description, understand what are the expected outcomes, see them as short-term benefits, understand what are the expected impacts, see them as long-term benefits within five years. So this is the first element, understand that. Secondly, uh, second uh, tip or second step, if I may say, because for me it's very important to see it also in a recipe format, try to link the expected outcomes from the call topic and the expected impacts from the call topic, from the destination with your project results. See how your project results, formulate them, identify what kind of results your project should have in order to achieve those expected outcomes and uh, uh, expected uh, impacts. So that's the second uh, tip, third step or third tip is as soon as you understood and you linked your expected outcomes and your expected impact with your project results, now I would like you to identify for me the reach, the scale, how many or which target groups you are going to address, which target groups, and how many by the end of the project and within five years after the end of the project. So this is step three or tip three. Now, uh, similarly, you need per target group to specify the significance. So how much you expect each target group that you have identified to benefit from your project result, result related to the expected outcome and related to the um, expected impact. So that's the fourth tip or the fourth uh, uh, step. And uh, uh, the fifth uh, one is understand that dissemination and exploitation is focusing on project results and communication is focusing on the project visibility overall, the public information. And make sure that your strategies for dissemination and exploitation are related to the project results and your strategies for the communication are related to the project visibility. And if I can, and I can conclude with just one example. So always, when in your communication, try to see, because one of the key target groups of communication is uh, uh, general public, try to see how you can initiate the interest of the general public to your project. And a very nice tip for that is uh, find the, sh the, the, the focus of your project. So suppose that is uh, dealing in our example of uh, people with cognitive disabilities to uh, learn a foreign language. So try to identify the International Day of People with Disabilities or the International Day of uh, uh, People with Cognitive Disabilities. I think with people with disabilities is 4th of December, something like that. So use that International Day of People with Disabilities to run a campaign to the general public about your project. And the press and the other media would, would be interested because that's a day that they, will, they are making a lot of articles related to the topic. So that's my last tip, but this is something that can be quite uh, attractive for, uh, for the evaluator. They like to see that. Nicolas, thank you so much for your time and for joining us today for our first episode of the podcast series Deep Talk, Master Your Skills in EU Grant Writing. Dear listeners, for more information about the work of Nicolaus, please do follow the links 
in the podcast short notes to Nicolaus' trainings at the Founding Expert Academy, also to the Key Innovations training and his LinkedIn profile, where you are more than welcome to directly contact Nicolaus in any case of questions. And for further information about Horizon Europe and the University for Continuing Education, you will find the explanations about the funding program at our intranet website for the Grant Acquisition Office. Thank you very much for listening and good luck with your proposal preparations. Good luck. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Katrin. All the best. Keep up the good work. You're more than welcome. <laughs>